listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome back to The Seminarian Show. My name is Jacob Stinnett. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Columbus. Joining me today is my co-host, Brian Smith, a seminarian of the Diocese of Youngstown. So let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many witnesses, the many examples that you give of the holiness that you call all of us to. In so many unique and special ways, You've raised up saints for your church. We praise and thank you for them, and we ask for their intercession for us, both uh, by their example and by their prayers in front of your heavenly throne. And so we join with the saints as we pray, Our Father, who Who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed hallowed be be thy thy name. name. Thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth earth as as it is in heaven. heaven. Give Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brian, today um, we're going to be talking about the saints again. Um, They're such powerful witnesses, um, and there's so many different things that we know about the saints Mm -hmm. and the ways that the saints um, are present in our own lives today, that we can just continually talk about them, it seems. Right. It's always helpful to go back and reflect on their lives. And yeah. um, I can recall even once receiving you know, as spiritual advice um, to try to read more of the lives of the saints mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that I can try to incorporate some of their practices of holiness into my own life. Right. Right. We see, I think it was maybe... St. Mother Teresa, who was talking about, um, you know, all of the evil that we see in the world, it's all the same. (laughs) Um, You know, men and women who make evil choices, they're all the same at the end. Um, But with the saints, you have so many different ways. Um, Each saint is living out their call to holiness in their own way, Hmm. um, that it really highlights the uniqueness of each person as created by God. Um, And sort of the creative love um, that the saints live out in their lives. It's right. many unique ways and individual ways to be a saint. Mm-hmm. And it's helpful to reflect on that because I think there can be this perception that um, sometimes the church asks us to set ourselves aside and just kind of mm-hmm. um, conform and you know do the things that are required of us. But the saints show us that um, being holy is um, discovering the ways that God, you know, through our, our talents, our interests, and, um, you know, our unique creativity, um, we are to give witness to him in this world. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite images, I sort of borrow it from the Blessed Mother in Luke's Gospel to describe the saints are their magnifying glasses. Mm. They magnify God's love in a particular in time, a in a particular place. Yeah. Um, one... 20th century theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of the most famous of the 20th Mm -hmm. century theologians, he says, 
Um, for it is by the light of the saints, which is none other than God's light, um, that we see the light, which is, of course, God himself. So these saints are like magnifying glasses. They take that light of God and they, you know, shine on a particular point mm-hmm. and have a particular way of doing it that then is supposed to open us all up to to God's love. Um, one of the ways that a lot of us interact with the saints is we have particular patrons. Um, so our parishes are often dedicated to particular saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times people will take a patron saint themselves, either from their confirmation saint or um, maybe their baptismal name or something like that. So today I'd like to talk about um, different patron saints of seminarians. Mm-hmm. So we have we've taken a short little poll amongst our brother seminarians and said, hey, who is your favorite saint, your patron saint, mm-hmm. and why? Um, so we can start to take a little bit of a look at some of the responses that we got. Um, the first one that I want to look at um, it comes from seminarian James. Mm-hmm. Um, James says that his patron saint, his favorite saint, um, is St. Therese, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty popular saint. Yeah, and he uses language that I've noticed a lot of priests and seminarians use when it comes to St. Therese. He says, I fell in love with her hmm. after reading her autobiography. I know our, our rector, Father Bissot, has a, a great devotion to St. Therese, um, his installation as rector was on the feast day of St. Therese. Right, it was very meaningful. Um, yeah. through, through her providence, God's providence through her. Um, and he would often refer to her as his girlfriend. Um, <laughs> so there's this really intimate relationship that seminarians and priests have with St. Therese, falling in love with her, um, as James puts it. Um, we know from her own writings that she had... Um, a very a very deep relationship with a particular seminarian, a seminarian named Maurice, um, who was kind of struggling with his own formation, um, trying to figure out if he truly was being called to be a priest, um, and all those sorts of struggles that come along with discernment. And she was she wrote to him and was very encouraging um, of him, of seeking God's will, of sort of little ways that God might be speaking to him, or maybe through her. Hmm. Um, so that's one way we see in the life of St. Therese that even in her life on earth, she was um, a great support for seminarians and priests. Um, but it's this this little way of St. Therese that James points out is so meaningful to him. Yeah. And it's actually um, one of the reasons why St. Therese has been named a doctor of the church, um, this little way. She teaches something that all the faithful can apply to their lives. Right. She's not just teaching something that we might get asked about and to explain, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. You know, it's beautiful to be able to delve into the mysteries of our faith. Um, but here she's referring to um, the ways that we all, through the small actions of our life, you know, can show great love in the little things that we do. Right, right. So it's not um, so much doing these big, great works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's doing the little things, but with great love, yeah. is what she says. So things as simple as, you know, the household chores, or taking your kids to school, or, you know, whatever it may be throughout the day, those sort of normal daily activities, um, when we do them 
out of love for God, that's an act of holiness, an act that leads, um, we pray to our sanctification and to the sanctification of those um, in our lives. And this is a pretty encouraging teaching because sometimes we might be kind of led into despair by thinking, oh my goodness, look at these other examples of people who've done great things. Right. And I haven't, you know, gotten attention for the things that I do. I haven't reached that many people. Um, mm-hmm. But St. Therese is trying to show us how we all have so many opportunities, even in a normal day. Right. If we have opportunities to turn these small things to God, um, to make little sacrifices, James says, to even offer, you know, he's quoting St. Therese, a single glance, a single word, to take advantage of just even a brief interaction to make it be an encounter of love and a way to share something of God with the world or with even one other person. Yeah, yeah. And in his response, James also includes a recommendation to everyone um, to read St. Therese's autobiography, The Story of a Soul. I'm about halfway through for the first time. I, um, you know, I like languages. Mm -hmm. I try to always be reading one Spanish book and one French book. So I'm currently Uh, reading her biography in French. It really is, it's funny, it strikes, how it strikes me sometimes. I can just sit down and read one page and then have enough to really sit with, you know, for a good 10, 15 or half minutes or half an hour or something yeah. like that to yeah. reflect on. I'm slightly ashamed to admit I haven't read her autobiography <laughs> yet. Um, yet. So it's on the list. Um, but I did get a copy for my mother um, for her birthday this past year and she's been enjoying it immensely. Well, once so. she finishes, you'll have no excuse. I know. Right. Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> okay. So another uh, seminarian who responded he gave us uh, several saints, yes. actually, is Deacon Dalton. Um, he gave us kind of three different saints, so we can take a look at how each one is um, a patron in his life. Yeah, right, which itself is helpful because, you know, not only are the saints that we might be named after our patrons, but through our own life experiences, we sometimes connect with different saints for, mm-hmm. for particular reasons. And then they become a, a patron in some way for us. Yeah. And you can always have more than one patron saint. Sure. Too. So the first one he met lists here is St. Augustine. Mm. Um, St. Augustine was his confirmation patron. Um, and he said that uh, it was actually during a school project that he had to engage with St. Augustine's confessions. Right. And it was there that he said he sort of met St. Augustine. And he said he was attracted to... St. Augustine's desire for truth, his search for God. Um, You can read in the the confessions that it really was um, a long search for Augustine, too. Um, He wanted to know the truth and searched high and low and everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, it seemed, before finally that grace of God broke into his life and he saw it Mm -hmm. and was able to respond um, to it. He said it was reading the confessions, engaging with them was a great way to look back on his own short life at that point, as Mm -hmm. he puts it, um, to the many ways that God was already even at work in his own life and be able to um, begin to discern those and discern his calling to the priesthood. You're listening to The Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. My name is Jacob Stinnett. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Columbus, And with me today is Brian Smith, 
a seminarian for the Diocese of Youngstown. So far, we've been talking about um, the value of having a patron saint, having a particular intercessor for us in heaven, um, the beauty that the saints bring to our lives, to the life of the church. And we're looking at um, different seminarians, patron saints, Mm -hmm. um, who their patron saint is, how do they connect with them, why. So we started off talking about um, Deacon Dalton's, um, one of his patron saints, St. Augustine, um, but he gave us sort of a list of some others, too. Um, And we'll go back and forth between them, um, since we have so many different things to cover. Mm. Another of his patron saints, in addition to St. Augustine, he said, uh, is St. Pius X, who was a pope in the early 20th century. Um, He says that St. Pius is a newer devotion of his. Mm -hmm. So, as you said earlier, we cultivate these um, relationships with the saints throughout our lives. So it's never a bad time to pick up a new patron. Um, And he says um, that it was Pius X's um, great devotion to the Eucharist Mm -hmm. that kind of brought him to look closer at the life of St. Pius. Right. He mentions especially the way Pope St. Pius X brought the Eucharist to young people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds, what he says here reminds me of an image, a stained glass window at um, St. John's Parish in Canton. Mm. Um, in the old convent, there's a a window to St. Pius X, and he's depicted in the top part of the window. And in the lower part, there are children receiving the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Like, pic- picture dressed, much like you'd imagine kids dressed for First Communion or something, yeah. with their hands folded and mm-hmm. receiving the Eucharist. The because boys in their suits and the girls in exactly. their lovely white dresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we we th- we remember St. Pius X, among other things, because he um, opened the reception of First Holy Communion to um, children who had reached the age of reason, which mm-hmm. is around seven years of age. Right. So it used to be a lot higher, is that correct? Yeah. Kids had to be older before that mm-hmm. in, or- or- in order to receive First Communion. Right. Um, speaking of just another saint that we just mentioned, St. Therese like had to request permission to receive her first communion earlier mm-hmm. um, from her bishop. Yeah. And she had to prove herself. Um, whereas nowadays, um, thanks to St. Pius X, you know, all kids of that age are able to receive their first communion. Yeah. Yeah. Usually in the second grade or so around here. Um, Deacon Dalton also mentions, I think he's drawing this from St. Pius X's um, papal motto, which in Latin is instaurare omnia in Christo, to renew, to restore all things in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says that um, he hopes that through the intercession of St. Pius X that um, his priesthood, Deacon Dalton, will be ordained a priest. Um, Please God here in the next few months, um, through his priesthood, he'll be able to help um, reawaken the church to this great gift of the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. which has already been happening you know, especially since the pontificate of Pope John Paul II, who had such a deep devotion to the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Um, We see this in the growth of Eucharistic adoration um, throughout um, various dioceses and countries around the world, uh, which is such a beautiful testament to that tradition of our faith. And Um, for for seminarians, that's often a very important part of the whole discernment process. mm -hmm. You know, the time that, you know, we take to spend with our Lord in adoration while we're trying to figure out what exactly he's calling us to. Right, right. You place yourself in front of the Lord, enthroned on the altar, and Mm -hmm. say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do with me? Um, 
a beautiful resignation to our Lord yeah. in the Eucharist. And um, and he mentions, Deacon Dalton mentions another person who's not mm. technically a saint yet, but you know, he's declared blessed, which right. means that we, we believe he's in heaven. <laughs> yes, he's on the road to sainthood, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so who is that? That's um, Pier Giorgio Frassati, who is um, a young man who lived in Italy. Um, I don't remember exactly in what years, but it was the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's certainly a more recent saint. And he, he died in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. And he um, was known for just having a very strong faith um, and not always having the support necessarily that would have made you expect him to have that, you know, growing up in a family where um, Deacon Dalton mentions, you know, his parents were maybe more lukewarm towards the church, but Mm -hmm. he developed a very strong faith and, you know, discerned for a time vocation to the priesthood, but, um, you know, decided through prayer that that wasn't where God was calling him to be. But, um, he, you know, kept very faithful to his commitment to the church and to live a holy life. Um, and he's he's known for being very gregarious, very social. Right. Um, he's often depicted, you know, um, hiking or being outside. Mm-hmm. So he was a very active young man. So, you know, he gives an example both of what it is to wrestle with vocation because, you know, he did that in his life. And he gives an example of... Um, you know, being faithful when it's not necessarily easy. And Deacon Dalton mentions, you know, facing some similar difficulty with his family's reaction to his um, decision to enter seminary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how he could find in Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati some inspiration to persevere, even though at one point, you know, his family wasn't fully supportive of his decision. Right. Deacon Dalton has this, this great sentence. He says, Frasadi discerned that God was not calling him to be a priest, but he didn't ignore his obligation as a Christian right. to use his many gifts and resources to serve those around him who are in need. Um, he says that in his own life, um, Pier Giorgio Frasadi helped him realize that the Christian life, it's not one or the other sort of decision, like either I'm going to enter seminary or I'm not even going to bother with this whole being Christian thing. Um, it's always saying yes to God in our lives um, and following where the Lord leads. And, you know, we talked about St. Therese's little way and Deacon Dalton also zones in on how Pier Giorgio Frassati was able to give witness and, um, you know, lead others closer to Christ and yeah. into the church Um not necessarily through teaching, not through long discourses or lectures, but through mm-hmm. just, you know, being, and he mentions the case of his sister by being a good brother to her. Yeah. Um, even a small thing he mentions is how he had given a crucifix to his sister and her husband on the day of their wedding, um, which was, you know, something that was a catalyst towards them, you know, starting to take the faith more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A small thing, seemingly. Yeah, what a beautiful testament to yeah. the love that he had for his sister and his desire for her to know the love of God also. And um, 
you had mentioned that we might get back to some of the other saints that Deacon Dalton had mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about relationships now. So mm-hmm. he also mentions that St. Augustine um, gives a strong example of the importance of family relationships. Um, yeah. Deacon Dalton mentions his mother, yep. also a saint, yep. St. Saint Monica. Monica. Um, and, you know, they were very close, especially in the later years of her life, you know, they would often share their reflections on God's love in the world and the beauty of creation. Um, right. But that's not how things started out no. between them, right? <laughs> no. Right. So St. Monica um, was a Christian long before St. Augustine. Right. Um, and she had a great desire for her son to become a Christian. Um, she knew that God was calling him to great things. Um, but Augustine wasn't ready yet. Um, but St. Monica for years and years followed her son, um, prayed, wept over him. Um, and finally, um, you know, I think one of the prayers of her says, God listened to her tears Mm -hmm. and, um, Augustine did as well, (laughs) um, by listening to the voice of God calling him to himself. Um, Deacon Dalton has one quote from St. Augustine, which is found in the confessions, um, it's one of the uh, many, many beautiful prayers that St. Augustine has in his confessions. Um, and it says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Um, Deacon Dalton says that it's a great way to kind of look back on our day, mm-hmm. um, to examine our own actions, our thoughts um, throughout the day of how well did we come to recognize that truth um, that St. Augustine has in his prayer that we're made for the Lord, mm-hmm. made by the Lord for him, um, and that any restlessness um, in our lives, any lack of peace. Any anxiety. Yeah, it's from not placing all of our trust in the Lord. Um, so once our hearts rest in the Lord, um, that's where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, well, I thought I would also uh, contribute to this dialogue by talking about one of my um, very favorite patron saints, um, St. Saint Catherine of Siena. Mm. Um, she lived in the 13th century, um, and um, I'm sorry, the 14th century, 1300s, um, which was a very tumultuous time for the church. Um, we had the popes uh, living in Avignon, France, right. not in Rome. Um, and people weren't quite sure what was going on. Um, there was a lot of confusion um, in the life of the church. Um, but she, uh, through her uh, intercession, um, her physical intercession, going to Avignon. Right, um, traveling there, which at that point meant going across the mountains, right? Right, going across the mountains into France. Um, and she was never a woman in particularly good health. Um, okay. She was always suffering some sort of illness um, throughout her life. Um, she suffered it, of course, with grace. Um, but because of this intense faith of hers, of knowing her place as uh, a daughter of God, um, had this great conviction, this great confidence um, that she was to proclaim the truth, mm-hmm. no matter who it was, um, whether it was kings, princes, or even the Pope, 
So she wrote several letters to the Pope saying, get back to Rome. Um, the church needs you. The church is suffering. Um, go where you are supposed to be. Um, and the Pope wasn't really listening. So she said, fine, I'll come to you. <laughs> so she made that journey with um, some of her companions, um, had that audience with the Pope. And um, in the last couple of years of her life, she actually saw the Pope return to Rome. Yeah, she's um, credited with that move. Yeah, she Absolutely. and also St. Bridget of Sweden and St. Bridget's daughter, St. Catherine of Sweden, all those three powerful women um, helped resolve this sort of what's sometimes called the Babylonian exile of the church. Um, but St. Catherine, um, we can see her for all of the work that she did. Um, but having read some of St. Catherine's writings, um, I don't think that's how she would want us to see her. She would want us to see her um, as an obedient child of God. Hmm. Um, she says, um, be who you are made to be, and you will set the world on fire. Yeah, a lot of people like to yeah to quote that. For, it's a great quote of hers. For discernment. Yeah. So I said um, her life was kind of living out um, that second question in the Baltimore Catechism, why did God make you? Mm. To know him, to love him, and to serve him in this life so that we may be eternally happy with him in the next. Um, Catherine was simply doing um, what God called her to do. Um, and she knew all of it because of her great love for the Trinity, um, for for her Lord Jesus Christ. Um, she had lots of mystical experiences throughout her life. Um, at one point, um, she was given um, the stigmata, mm -hmm. um, having the wounds of Christ, um, but she didn't want them visible. Um, she didn't want people to know that she had yeah. this suffering with her. So it was only upon her death that the stigmata appeared and the crown of thorns appeared on wow. her head that she wore throughout her life. Um, Talk about, you know, praying in secret and going into your inner room. Right, right. Um, so a great model of humility yeah. also. Um, and Catherine also wrote many letters, as I said earlier, and she signed them all the same way. The same way. Um, the English translation um, in one way says, very simply, it's a beautiful little prayer, um, sweet Jesus, Jesus love, <laughs> Catherine. Wow. Um, so she would that. commend everything to the sweet and tender love of Jesus. Huh. Sweet Jesus, Jesus love. <laughs> so we'll conclude um, with a prayer now invoking all of our patron saints. Yes. Um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Sanctity